0: Wow!
3: Hello and welcome to the Born Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host Chris Broad and this week there is no Pete Donaldson, he's gone. I fired him. Uh, no he's not fired, he has just taken a week off. I've given him a break uh, because I thought it was time to interview someone new, someone different. Um, in the like, We do quite a lot of podcasts now on the Born Japan podcast, twice weekly and I figured it'd be nice to actually introduce more people and have some interviews like we did with Sharla last month. So Pete's got the week off, and this week I'd like to introduce you to Tokyo Lens, my good friend Norm. He is a YouTuber with 150,000 subscribers. Uh, He focuses mainly on travelling Japan, short-form documentaries and photography. Uh, You might have seen him recently on Journey Across Japan. He joined us on the third episode, uh, well, the whole series, but he appeared in the third episode as the disgruntled guy walking into a shop. Um, (laughs) He was surprised by the presence of dr jelly in the commercial um he's had a good year three viral hit videos which we'll discover later on in this episode Um, he's got a podcast he's a master of the shamisen having played with my arch rivals the yoshida brothers he speaks japanese at a native level he's called japan home for over a decade and here he is norm how you doing I, i am doing pretty good Thanks bi- for having me. I bigged you up there quite quite a lot. Yeah, um it was about thirty <laughs> percent accurate. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know you, what would you what do you believe in, Norm?
1: What do I believe in? Who are you? Give, um, us a, give us a
3: quick intro.
1: All right, well I think your intro was pretty clear. Uh pretty much everything started around the shamisen side of things, actually. Been in Japan for a bit over a decade, decided to uh, dedicate myself to becoming the apprentice of the Yoshida brothers. And kind of built a life around Shamisen and was encouraged to start a YouTube channel to share the background of that and mm. then it turned into what it is today. That's that's all of it. So I think
3: what's interesting about Norm is he has lived in Japan a long time, but he's really immersed himself in every aspect of the culture. Like you've done so much stuff. We just go through that list, um, you know, it's it's quite impressive. Um a lot of foreigners I meet here never really Seem to integrate into Japan. They've got like one leg in, one leg out, and you never know if they're going to be around that long. But you've been here over 10 years, and you've done so much stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to diving a bit deeper into that uh, over this podcast and the next one on Sunday. But first things first, Mm. uh, how and when did we meet?
1: (sighs) We've known each other about two years now, right? At least, at least. Um, I remember there was coffee involved. Yes, we Uh, met at... Weno Station, right? Yeah, yeah. We we met up at Weno Station. I think we grabbed uh, some form of meat and coffee. And I lectured you over your videos. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are real things that happened.
3: Yeah, no, it was cool. And since then, we've met up quite a bit. I've joined you on a road trip last mm-hmm. year. You did around Tohoku. You came on Journey Across Japan more recently, um, yeah. which is still ongoing. The last episode out this week, of course. But how did you find your time
1: on Journey Across Japan as the cameraman? It was. <laughs> well, when, when we originally looked at the schedule, the the potential amount of time we had, I, I was like, the, you know, the, any of these shoots tend to be really busy, mm. and I, I sat back and was very intrigued to see how it would play out, and, and as, as I expected, it was busy. It was busy, but it was also incredibly fun. I feel like these are all just really basic buzzwords. It was busy, it was fun, mm. but it was an incredibly menor- memorable time. Uh, with a lot of good experiences.
3: So for those of you that watched the series, Norm was the guy behind the camera. And a lot of people asked, on the, the fourth episode with the Capsule Hotel, people mm. asked, did you actually stay in the Capsule Hotel? People said, "Like, <laughs> did uh, did the cameraman and uh, did Ian as well, did, did you get to stay in the Capsule
1: Hotel? Oh yeah, we were sleeping in the car, isn't that the... isn't that the official 10 capsules joey and i No, you got in there you enjoyed it right it was a good time it was a good time i think my favorite part of the entire thing was that the actual story arc Mm. of the uh i guess it'll be a spoiler for anybody who's not caught up but the mount fuji story arc was very real it was real yeah we didn't think that we're like we're sitting there every single day going this this it's just not going to show up. Like we, It was predicted rain for the entire week. Mm. on oh, <laughs> the anxiety. It was a nightmare. But uh, yeah,
3: we did pack a lot into that week, I must mm. say. And it was a lot of fun. But we'll get into more of that in a bit. We do kick things off with Story of the Week here on the Abroad Japan podcast. And this week we've got one from Kim from the Netherlands. And it actually kind of ties in to our experience on Journey Across Japan. And it starts, Hey Chris and Pete, uh, I'm a long-time listener of the podcast, watcher of the YouTube channel. Keep up the good work. I was pleasantly surprised to see Yudanaka Hot Springs featured in Journey Across Japan in the first and second episode. Uh, I visited the spa town with my boyfriend back in April 2018. It was a very memorable visit. It's quite a long story. I do apologise, but here it goes. On one morning, the owner of the uh, traditional Japanese inn, the Ryokan Mobi stayed dropped us off on a road leading to the Snow Monkey Park. We hiked up there, and just as in your video, Chris, when we entered the park, there wasn't a monkey to be seen. God damn it, they're never there when you want them. Uh, The people from the park came out to apologise over and over and told us that someone would go up into the mountains to find the monkeys. We were very surprised that this was an option at all and laughed a little bit about it, Um, as, as if it was just something they said to be friendly. But then a couple of minutes later, we saw a guy climbing up the mountain with a bucket full of apples and they were actually going to get the monkeys. It must have been 20 minutes before he came back down again, surrounded by a hundred and fifty monkeys, including lots of females with their newborns, we ended up having a great morning. Kim from the Netherlands, why didn't that happen for us? I, we had one monkey. We had one monkey. <laughs> just, <laughs> a what? Natsky moping by the hot spring.
1: What? That's that's not fair. It's just it's, well, it's I, I, it's not fair for us. I'm gutted. That is, it's heartbreaking. That,
3: but lucky you, Kim. I'm glad. Uh, yeah. I'm glad the staff made the effort for you.
1: I will jump in right here and say that the the heartbreak just did not come through on the video. Um, the heart, the, the <laughs> look, the moment in your face when you realize that there genuinely were no monkeys uh, and that they weren't going to be showing up. I mean, I don't think I would have minded as much if there wasn't like rain and
3: just crap weather the whole time yeah it like, was
1: quite a climb to get there too i trashed my only
3: decent pair of shoes going up through the mud like, you've got these, like the one good thing i own are shoes and they're ruined now because of that climb but it was worth it to see nothing no it was it was a shame um it's quite a funny opening though. to be fair i think mm. we kind of turned it to our advantage yeah um, by exploiting the the comedic value <laughs> of, of seeing nothing um and Natsuki's reaction was pretty good too but, um, yeah, go back and watch the misery of uh, of day two, Journey Across Japan. Udanaka was nice, though, wasn't it? It was. It for was the, a beautiful place. For the ten minutes we were there. Not of, the
1: most driver-friendly town? No. <laughs> Going there in a car, don't. Just don't, to be honest. Um,
3: but now we turn our attention to you, Norm. Um, okay. So the inevitable question mm. that you've got to ask everyone who ever comes to Japan and lives here or mm. does anything in Japan, what led you
1: to come to Japan? You know, they say when you access a memory, each time you access a memory, you kind of change it. And I feel like being in Japan as as long as I have or we have, this question becomes exactly the the manifestation of that. I don't remember what my first answer was. I don't remember what my answer was five years ago. Mm. Uh, But I do remember um, the thing that drew me back to japan was i lived in japan once and it was about a year at the end of the year i went back to canada I, I did the working holiday i think it was a good time and a friend gave me a yoshida brothers cd it was the first time i ever heard shami said
3: for those of the listeners that don't know the
1: yoshida brothers how would you describe them so, the shamisen itself is like a three-string Japanese instrument. Mm. Uh, this one is very, the, the tsugaru shamisen, the one I play, is really high energy. It's, it's kind of a mix between a string instrument and a taiko. It's got a really like, um, can't. Uh, it's got a really it. iconic yeah. kind of sound to it. Yeah. And the Yoshida brothers are the players in that space. Um, I think most people would know them first and foremost from the original Nintendo Wii commercial. Uh, where one of their songs <laughs> was used, and then a lot of people who watch something like Naruto would know them as the people who did the shamisen music for most of the series. Mm. Um, they they are they're just they played with uh, monkey
3: magic and they, yep. yeah, my they friend do... Blaze's band. Yeah, they did a really good, really cool collab. Um,
1: what's their biggest song? Is it is it Rise Rising is one. Rising. Uh, Kodo is another. I, Storm.
3: I have a weird relationship with them. because i used their song i think rising in the first mount fuji video i made in 2013 and that video got blocked by i think it was sony or warner brothers and um that that's really sad because it was the number one mount fuji video it's not their fault though i did use their song improperly if you've got a youtube channel ladies and gentlemen don't don't steal. Don't use copyright music, because he will live to regret it. Mm. Um, but Norm has failed consistently to put in a good word for them. <laughs>
1: I've, so. I've tried. Side story here. They can't <laughs> even get their own music unblocked on their YouTube channel that easily.
3: Yeah, and I've, I found that with artists. When I, when I met with um, Hyde from mm. Larkin Ciel, I think he had the same sort of issues. Like, the artists often don't have much control of the music. Yeah. It's the, the label, right? So,
1: they it's not recently their fault. put up a video that I made for them on their channel. And the process of getting their own music on their own channel. Oh, unblocked. my God. Anyway, so I heard their songs for the first time and thought, mm. I've got I've to come back to Japan. I absolutely have to. And I came back uh, and actually didn't do anything with Shamisen. I bought a race car. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, spent, uh, I don't know, maybe the better part of a year uh, in that circle of things it didn't end well and decided i needed a safer hobby uh, a friend said to me like if you could do anything with your life what would it be and i said well i would i would be the the apprentice of the ocean brothers i had actually listened to them play live in the states right before coming back mm. and very audaciously went up to them and i was like i will meet you again in japan and good they God. just they like chuckled and yeah. Like, yeah good luck with that <laughs> all right <laughs> <then>. <laughs> And so I began the journey of trying to get an introduction to them. Uh, It took about a year. I got the introduction. I pleaded my case. I got rejected. Waited a couple months. Pleaded again, got rejected. Waited about half a year. Pleaded again and told them that I would dedicate everything to it, that I wouldn't give up, that I would take it super seriously, and that if they said no, I would keep gently requesting until the day I died. He's a persistent man, is is Norm. And, uh... (laughs) I didn't get any contact back for like six months when all of a sudden my phone went off one day and the older of the two Yoshida brothers was on the other end. He's like, I make you no promises whatsoever, but grab your shamisen and come to my place for coffee. Good God. And since that day, the the rest has been history. And basically everything I've done in Japan since then has been based around that. How old were you when you first came to Japan? How old were you when you was
0: sitting
3: in the Yoshida brothers' house with a shamisen? I'd say
1: 2005, uh, I first came to Japan. I was like 21 or something mm. like that. And it wasn't until maybe 2010, 2011, somewhere around there, 2010 or 2011, mm. um, that I was sitting with a cup of coffee and a shamisen in front of the Jesus. older of the two Yoshi brothers.
3: What an incredible journey and just persistency. <laughs> it's the key, right? Persistency, you often, when you meet entrepreneurs or successful people, that is like one of the key traits they've mm. got. They just keep going. They won't give up. And uh, and it's paid off. Like you've, you've been
1: friends with them for over a decade now, right? Yeah. And- um, I've shot documentary content for them. It was actually the, the year leading up to that, the person that I got introduced to who finally introduced me to them, actually, I wasn't just like, hey, introduce me. Mm. I actually spent a year visiting that person almost every month. Mm. And building up a relationship to the point where I could finally maybe ask without throwing myself under the bus. So while it's it sounds like a very aggressive approach, it did take time, but it was definitely worth it. Are you? I mean, in terms of
3: um, foreigners living in Japan that play the shamisen, where are you on the league tables? Are Uh you like one of the top foreign? shamisen players in japan would you
1: say i don't know that there are that many within japan Mm. i'm sure there i'm sure there are uh every now and then i run into people at tournaments and whatnot there are some great players out there i've actually stopped doing tournaments and i i maybe it's the same uh maybe it's relatable in like a, a youtube sense of things but for me i really want to enjoy shamisen so while i've actually taken top spots at tournaments uh, and while the, the Yoshi brothers are very kind with their praise, I'm a lot less concerned with, like, where I stand in comparison to others mm. and much more with how much I enjoy it. The second Shamisen became becomes a stress to me is the second I feel like I'll start to detach from it. Right. Um, they actually offered to produce me, like, do what? a whole CD and everything. Bloody hell. And we were a couple of months into working on songs with that, and I just totally stopped enjoying it. Mm. The recording process and just every it just became such. I was like, I'm I'm doing this because it's it's a journey, right? And, and when a hobby
3: becomes yeah. a job, and the you know they've got the pressure there, it really takes some of the fun out of it. Exactly. Have you found that? So let's turn to your YouTube channel now. Have you found that with YouTube at all? See, so, I mean, you've been doing YouTube three or four years, maybe mm. longer. But yeah, yeah. this year, your channel's really kind of taken off. You're, mm. you're now at 150,000 subscribers um, and you've had some viral success. Mm. And, you know, I don't watch a lot of Japan channels because I live in Japan, right? You find yeah. it. when you live in Japan, you don't need to, to watch many other channels in Japan. But I do watch uh, Norm's videos and I do watch Tokyo Lens because we have quite a shared love of photography, of filmmaking. Mm. We both do a lot of short form documentaries. Uh, and you've had some pretty good success in the last year in general um what are some of the the best sort of videos that you've done i mean the first one the what oh, nice. the
1: most successful
3: was the guy living in an abandoned school <clears> in shikoku yeah
1: that's yeah. pretty cool actually the the this year's uh video kind of lined up with the the whole shamisen being produced for a cd thing um i decided to go the exact opposite with youtube stop being a job with it and start mm. just focusing on making stuff I really liked and I could be proud of. And it just led me to chasing a rabbit hole of potential mm. possibilities. And the, the gentleman in the school, I <laughs> happened to just literally stumble across him. So uh, there was no plan. He was just zero plan filming in Chicago, doing a road trip. Heading to the the village with the uh, the the scarecrow dolls that the woman handmade. All the
3: oh, we've talked about that on the
1: podcast. There's a town in um,
3: Shikoku where the population's going down, unfortunately, it's like and 27 uh, people now.
1: And they've the,
3: there was a woman there that's replaced the population with scarecrows, like yeah. you do. Yeah. Um, it's a really good video. What's that video called for um, our listeners? Uh, I know, I know, Pete and I actually discussed it a few months ago when it came out because we've talked about it for years. Okay, um, and. I thought about going, but after I saw what you did, I felt like that. Norm's nailed it. I don't need to go down there myself now. Um, But I remember you told me that you didn't want to meet the woman because at the time there was the whole coronavirus Mm. thing and you didn't want to wipe out
1: the last 27 people. We had the opportunity, (laughs) um, but I managed to get a hold of her via telephone. Mm. uh, and It's Mm. in there. I think the video is called This Japanese Town Replaced Humans With scarecrows right and that's and, got two hundred thousand views
4: mm.
3: and the abandoned japanese school 1.6 million it's really yeah. impressive stuff but let's
1: go back to why why did you start your youtube channel okay um why i, I got i'm gonna close that story arc so we we're on our way to the scarecrows oh uh, yeah i got a call from like a friend who was like yo i think there's an abandoned school near there and we rocked up and just walked around the guy runs a cafe and a hostel out of it. It was closed. He started talking. I loved his story. And I was like, Can I point a camera at you and just let you continue your story? And he's like, Yeah. We ended up becoming friends. He had us stay the night. It was a it was a whole thing. So. He's
3: a re- he's a really quiet character. This so this is a video called This Man Lives in an Abandoned Japanese School. It went viral. Um and what was the name of the chat? Uh Yohei, Yohei, and Yo-hei. It, it kicks off with him like playing the drums and mm. there's a really cool montage of him like in this quiet empty school playing the drums it's really quite special and the fact you found him by sheer good fortune is is pretty cool as well yeah like so, some of the best documentaries uh that you've made seem to have happened by by sheer good fortune and chance
1: but so you've been doing it three or four years yeah man. and Stuff like this is a good representation of kind of why I started. Mm. I I worked, you know, I, I did the salary man thing, put mm, on a suit, mm. went to an office, you know, you got a teacher, on the train. Right? Uh, I started out as a teacher for a while, and then went into like office management, which was a lot less fun. I was a corporate manager, mm. like managing other people. I just I didn't enjoy life. Mm. I'd gotten to a point where I didn't like where my life was. And I decided that I have this love for Japan and I want to be able to focus more on that. I want to be able to, A, create more happiness for myself and also just kind of share more of what I really love. And so in order to focus on the positives, focus on the things that I really love, which Mm. is Japan, cameras, shamisen, I was like, why don't I just start capturing it? No, I had pushes from really good friends like Charla, who you'd mentioned yep. was on the the podcast previously. Uh, another good friend out in Canada named Taylor, and they were just like, "You should just start capturing stuff."
3: How tough was it going from a full time job as a salary man to being a full time YouTuber? You're a full time YouTuber now. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's a pretty big leap as somebody who's um, who's done that as well. Like I did it in 2016. And that's pretty scary, because until then, my YouTube channel, Brawn in Japan, is funded by uh, my teacher's salary. Okay. And then after that, it was funded by YouTube. But the money from YouTube wasn't really mm. uh, as much as I was <laughs> earning as a teacher, and I had to take out a loan yeah, to is. sort of fund that mm. that kind of year and get through it. But, mm. um, but it was a tough time. Like, how's that been for you, making that transition? And would you recommend it to, to listeners that
1: uh, are thinking about doing YouTube full-time? I I had the added lucky benefit of having the shamisen world behind me right so i was i think i I did a year of my full time job and creating videos every single week and a lot of those videos were for shamisen players Mm. on like a different channel that i run called shamisen in tokyo and a few of those went pretty big got like a million views and stuff and we started to get offers from overseas we got like offers from australia canada the us italy all over the place and it actually came to a point where i had to choose whether or not i was going to continue this full-time job and all the stability that came with it or whether i was gonna stop that and go full on into the shamisen side of things and youtube side of things it's a bit of a leap right Mm. you're jumping from one vine to the next you got to fully let go and i got lucky that that uh, first year we did five six trips overseas all were really well funded by the people we went to visit so you still had some sort of support there from the shamisen side of things and then up until the world flipped itself upside down Mm -hmm. i didn't really have to worry all that much about youtube um youtube was something i again i i did because i really enjoy it i was doing monthly shamisen performances around japan and Shamisen performances, they, they, they're, they're, let's just say they're well paid. And that really helped me fund the YouTube channel and the adventures and everything. Mm. And then when the world flipped upside down, nobody wants to gather in a, no in a performance <laughs> hall. So Uh-oh. that and all the overseas performances, I had like four or five overseas performances booked for this year, all kind of went down the drain. And I just leaned into the YouTube side of things. And, it seems to be going well. That, that sort
3: of pressure maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great to hear though.
2: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
4: Join us for a very Clash of the Titles Christmas, because we're doing what every family does at this time of year. Arguing about which film is better. We've proof this pod is good for your elf as Elf takes on Santa Claus the movie. With Santa Claus the movie, for years I couldn't walk past a slice of ham, without, without reaching for it like a grubby. Um, yes, yeah, swear to God. We're doing that festive thing of overindulging in sweet stuff. It's The Holiday versus Love Actually. I've never seen women apologise so much for being women as in The Holiday. And yes, they are Christmas movies. We've got Die Hard versus Lethal Weapon. I'm so bored of that question, so let's flip it. Is Christmas a die-hard movie? <laughs> <laughs> That's Clash of the Titles this December. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Clash of the Titles is a Sakhanov production.
1: Merry
3: Christmas! What are some of the videos you're most proud of, do you think, as a, as a YouTube creator? And I like your short-form documentary, so you're very much like... Uh, a. On the one hand, you're a vlogger who kind of, you know, covers your life in Japan and Tokyo. But then you've also, in recent years, focused on hearing the stories of different people, right? There mm. was the the ramen episode in Kitakata. I like mm. that one. Um, yeah, what are some of the more
1: documentaries that you're proud of? I, uh, well, as you said, the, the vlog side of thing kind of capturing the life is where it all started, but it is the documentaries because of the challenge that comes into it. You know Mm. how much work it takes into finding the story and conveying the story in a documentary. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy task. And when you actually manage to somewhat pull it off, you'll always look back and say, I could have changed this. I could have done this better. Hmm. But when you walk out of it with something that, uh, for example, the i spent years saving up to have a new shamisen built mm. um it, it was years of performances all literally put into envelopes and i finally had one built and was lucky enough to be able to document the process of it being built by a oh, japanese wow. craftsman and i think that was one of the first like documentary-esque videos i did and that one the the ramen one oh as much as I enjoy it so
3: you went to Kitakata which is
1: the town with the
3: most ramen shops per capita Mm. in Japan and I've been there and I'm a fantastic town if you like ramen and you find yourself in Japan when airplanes are a thing again folks get yourself to Kitakata in North Fukushima sort of west side isn't it no sorry the yeah the west northwest Fukushima
1: yes northwest
3: and you went to the original ramen shop where it kind of kicked things off Banai Mm. Yep, which I didn't get in Because the queue was like two or three hours long. And I was like, not going in, not queuing for that long. Um, Was it worth the queue? Or did you get to avoid the queue? Uh, I got to avoid the queue. In fact,
1: rocked up not even knowing if we'd be able to make a video. Um, Oh, wow. Hadn't heard back. And so decided to, yeah, this one was the Ministry of Foreign Affairs had uh, been like, hey, go out there and make this. But we never heard back from whether oh or not we be. Yeah. So rocked up to the shop at like 530 in the morning. <laughs> and they were like, oh, we didn't get back. Yeah, sure. No problem. And then so had no plans. I just shot everything all day, nonstop. I think I got two terabytes of footage. Bloody hell. And uh yeah and at the end of the day sat down with the owner to do a little bit of like a one-to-one mm. face-to-face interview and at the end he offered to make a bowl of ramen wow. and it all just kind of came I together so in the you
3: Lucky devil, a bowl of ramen from the owner of one of the most famous ramen restaurants in the whole of Japan, I guess. Yeah. But is it easy going into these places and filming generally? Like a lot of um, listeners and
1: viewers often ask me, "How is how is it, you know? filming inside places in japan but uh yeah i think it's gonna have a lot to do with like your your personal your personality as well like as somebody who did a lot of street photography Mm. i'm a little more comfortable with pointing a camera towards a person and you can read the atmosphere and you speak japanese fluently so you can kind of get around it i guess so and like you know if they don't want you to like that'll be yeah right uh also sometimes you'll have people be like hey i think you were just shooting can you not include me in that right and you're like i just put a black frame there so i know not to put the one before it yeah um but for the most part, you also get used to shooting the back of people's heads or shooting over people's shoulders mm, when they're eating. Mm. You develop techniques that make it a lot easier the more you do it. When you start, you're like hands kind of shaking. You're a little bit nervous. You're like, "Am I going to get in trouble for shooting in here? Like, are people going to get upset at me? Are they going to be bothered by the camera?" And as with anything else, the more you do it, the more comfort you build.
3: Mm. I mean, looking at the kind of the foreigner YouTube space in. Uh, in japan at the moment how do you think it what do you think the atmosphere is do you think there's still room for more creators there's do you encourage people to do always, it
1: always always room for more creators oh,
3: i've noticed that it hasn't really the number of um kind of foreign vloggers in japan hasn't grown that much over the years and mm-hmm. i wonder why that is i think it's because it does take years to kind of build up a strong enough following to be able to do it full time mm. and then to sort of grow it right yeah what are your thoughts on that
1: i think that of uh, the, the hardest thing to do is persevere Persevere Mm. through the times where it's not going well. Persevere through the times where you're not like for the longest time, I was just making videos because I wanted to make videos. They weren't necessarily doing great. They weren't popping off anything, right? But I had the love to do it. So I was I was like, I don't care, I'll just continue. Um and I had that luxury. But I think if somebody's goal is to be full time on YouTube and they start a channel with that in mind, the pressure is a lot harder. I completely agree. Like I,
3: I was lucky as well. Like I did it for th- three years before I actually got to do it full time. But mm. in that three years, you know, I did it for fun. There was no sense of pressure, mm. and I think that is a problem. And I'd say to anybody, you guys listening that are interested in doing YouTube, before you think about doing it full time, do it for a few years first mm. and see if you enjoy it, uh, and don't put pressure on yourself. Because if the people I meet who fail are the ones who are like, "I need a hundred thousand subscribers in a year." Duh. And they're focused on that target rather than Mm -hmm. making videos that they get excited about or videos that
1: uh, people will actually kind of enjoy. Yeah, and you've got to enjoy the process because you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. If you can't enjoy the downs, if the downs drag you down every time, mm. I I actually recently put out something where I was talking about how I made videos every single week for a year before I published anything to YouTube. How did you do that? I just wanted to, uh, I told myself that if I was going to do YouTube, I needed to have the consistency. I needed to make sure that I actually liked making videos. You were
3: almost terrifyingly persistent. I just,
1: I want, <laughs> I like to enjoy <laughs> don't, uh, the process. Don't make Norm angry. He will come for you. <laughs> he won't stop. He's relentless. But yeah, if you can do that, I think everybody wants to document their first trip to Japan, Mm. subsequent trips to Japan. So I think that um, I I was recently, I I said something along the lines of like, if your grandparents had a podcast, like the one we're listening to right now, where Mm. they just documented like a Tuesday with Sally and George. like. (laughs) Would you'd listen to that you'd want to know what your grandparents life was like back yeah, in I the good so. times the bad yeah. times the boring times what did they do on a thursday evening watch abroad japan i hope <laughs> <Hey>! <laughs> so yeah i think that everybody whether it's videos photography just a podcast anything i think everybody should even if they don't create because creating and documenting are a little more different right mm. um even if they just like today i did this just just document what you're doing mm. i documented i've got tapes from my first trip to japan 15 years ago that i look <laughs> back and i'm so glad that i have i've got a few somewhere i mean
3: on my first year i did film quite a lot of stuff but can't bring myself to watch it it's almost a bit too <laughs> embarrassing to be honest um so as somebody who has lived here for a decade is you speak japanese to i'm going to say a native speaker level your japanese is very
1: very good um how did you get that good? I wasn't sacred. I'm gonna do the, the Japanese thing and say I wouldn't say it's quite that good. I'm comfortable with Japanese more than anything. I had a, a friend back in Canada uh, from China who could barely speak a word of English, but his confidence when not speaking English was incredible. He was a communicator above all else. Mm. And I try to bring that into my Japanese. I'm comfortable with the language. Um, Did you sit down and study textbook?
3: You seem like somebody who would have just gone out and used Japanese and spoken. Kind of, yeah. like Charlotte. Like Charlotte, uh, somebody who speaks to almost a native speaker level, I'd say, and very, very good at Japanese, but she's like, I never used a textbook. I just mm. went out and used it. And that's something I regret maybe not doing as much. I often use textbooks a lot more yeah. than I should, I think. yeah, It's quite scary going and talking to people, but you seem like somebody who doesn't have that fear when just going out. Well, talking to people.
1: In my college university days, I befriended Japanese people. I basically spent three years almost living with them. Mm. And the rule was inside the house is Japanese only. And it started Uh, with really basic stuff, like having a meal together and saying, this is an egg. (laughs) This is rice, right? So
3: it's that kind of limitation, right? Of being like, you could only speak in Japanese. That's a good point. And actually the... uh, most people I've met who are fluent, like to a native level in Japanese, do you put that limitation on where well, they say, Right, I'm not gonna speak my kind of native English language. I'm gonna speak only in Japanese and think only in Japanese mm. and that is something I guess I haven't done. And mm. that held me back a bit. I've always felt I've struggled so I've often revert back to English.
1: I've also had the, the luxury of very um, specialized hobbies. Like Mm. cars and drifting taught me an entirely new form of Japanese that I know. Learning shamisen was a totally like musical Japanese. I didn't know any of those words. So dipping my foot into these like specialized lingo, if you will, um, also kind of help build comfort. There's still a lot of stuff I don't know a
3: lot. but So I guess just be proactive, go out, meet people do new things mm. and use japanese practically yeah yeah have you how much time did you actually spend with a
1: textbook and i don't think i've ever <laughs> opened it. God damn I, it. so in high school at the end of high school i had a, a teacher who uh, was like you should learn japanese mm. and he was like i'll tell you what here's my little dictionary um if you learn hiragana within the month I will give you this dictionary. It was wow. his dictionary from his time living in Japan. And I sat in the hallway and I, I practiced hiragana during my lunch breaks and whatnot. And wrote it out on the board one day. And he's like, keep the dictionary. But I think that's the closest <laughs> thing. And like, I learned all the wrong words, by the way. Like, half the stuff that I learned from that dictionary are words that Japanese people don't actually say. Right. So when I tried to use them, they'd look at me like, what? what? So... That kind of put me off of using books. So what advice would you have to our listeners
3: looking to study Japanese and become fluent?
1: Just listen and copy. Listen and copy,
3: listen and copy. Build up that listening comfort. And find somebody to actually talk to. Absolutely. And communicate. I guess that is the main problem, though. Right? Especially in the UK. I think there's more Japanese people in Canada than there are in the UK,
1: potentially. Definitely but it's also like we're recording this in 2020 where there's Mm. no short of app shortage of apps or portals or platforms on which you can jump on and try to communicate with somebody. hello talk, and all those things. Everything. Good point. Wish I had those things. (laughs) I was MSN messenger at best talking to my Japanese friends, moms to practice my typing and reading in Japanese. I remember MSN all too well. Um,
3: But we'll hear more from Norm's experiences living in Japan in Sunday's episode. Um, And we've certainly got a lot of experiences there to draw from. But uh, let's now turn our attention to the fax machine where we read out your comments, questions, and stories. And we got one from Giselle and Dee from Canada. You're from Canada, Toronto, right? Yes, yes, yes. Toronto. What's Toronto like?
1: Um, Still not being. I don't really know how to, like, what's Toronto? It's It's a place of magic and wonder, isn't it? It's like a... I don't know. I, 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 I want to say it's like New York, but it's not. I want to say it's like Montreal, but it's not. I've been to Montreal and Vancouver. How's it compare to them? Uh, Vancouver is a really pretty place. Mm. Toronto is just like like your old city. It's like a Chicago, New York kind of, <laughs> but. With bacon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You've sold it to me, Norm. You've sold it to me. Uh, Giselle and Dee
3: from Kansas. Hi, Chris and Pete. Uh, my mum and I are planning a trip to Japan next November. While I'm comfortable using chopsticks, my mum has never learned. She's trying to learn but is really struggling. She had a severe case of carpal tunnel syndrome in both hands about 10 years ago, um, which meant that there was some damage to her hands. Um, my question to you is, would it be considered rude to request a fork at restaurants or to bring... Uh, said utensil for her use. What would be the best way to ask or approach the issue with the restaurant staff? Um, we loved the YouTube video you did on Don Quixote. Um, and, pla- and we plan to purchase some sappy underwear for my brother as a Christmas gag gift. That should be embarrassing come Christmas morning 2021. Merry Christmas from my family to you both, uh, Giselle and D. Sappy underwear. Are you familiar with sappy underwear? What is
1: the sappy underwear? So Don
3: Quixote has a lot of... Um, bizarre brands of underwear they've got black man underwear <laughs> it's called black man underwear and it's like a a thong for men so it's a bit odd and uh sappy which are nice looking underwear but they're just called sappy they're
1: just called sappy
3: yeah imagine like going on a date with a girl trousers underwear pants come down <laughs> if the date goes well or whatever, and then i just see sappy underwear sappy. how would that how would that go um I don't I don't remember which video that is actually. It's either one about crazy Japanese English or it's I okay. did a specific video on Don Quixote <laughs> about three or four years ago at Christmas time, but uh, the ultimate gift there. Interesting question. What about um what do you think about that? Utensils.
1: I uh <laughs> <laughs> So I I think we're both friends with Dogen. Yes, and, Dogen. Uh, great YouTube channel yeah. and Twitter. guy. And him and I had a, a talk a while back about how you it's actually People live in this world where they're very afraid of offending Japanese people. They're very afraid that what they're going to do is... is Even I was. I mean,
3: I was as well before I came here.
1: Can you remember the last time that you've actually offended a Japanese person, though? I
3: actually can't. No, (laughs) I don't think I've ever made anyone angry. Mm. And that's that's a really good point, actually. Like, I did that video, What Not To Do In Japan, Mm. um, which lots of people seem to have reacted to in recent months. But it's very hard to cause offence actually no. know the one time I did see someone get angry it wasn't me it was my friend uh, George we went into a uh, bathhouse in Kyoto mm. and he accidentally walked in with his shoes on and that is the one thing that will trigger a response I'd say nah. having your shoes on so that's the one thing you need to worry mm. about generally genuinely. Um, but no asking yeah. for utensils no. isn't going to make anyone angry um, sometimes they do sort they of say offer to it, you they just yeah. say like do you want knife and fork mm. um, uh and so it's don't don't worry about it, yeah, maybe do bring a
1: fork though, um because a lot of places don't have utensils right, yeah. I think they so there's that like Japanese concept of kiyotsukau right Mm. where they worry about the people around them Yeah, and I think if you're really worried about keeping their comfort I think they'd be a lot more comfortable with you using a fork and enjoying the meal then Mm. I think they'd feel bad about watching you struggle with chopsticks and not be able to enjoy the meal properly that would make them be like oh no we gotta you know maybe we should offer them a fork and by that point it's too late right I mean that
3: is one of the most common questions you do get in japan i can use chopsticks yeah so,
1: uh, this could be one of those one of
3: those occasions where you can say no because uh my mum has an actual problem with her hands so mm. yeah don't worry about it but maybe do bring some utensils and get around that but i hope you have a great time in japan when you do come uh giselle and d and um yeah good luck with uh, the sappy underwear uh i'm sure they'll <laughs> i'm sure your
1: brother will love it uh, i got one from chris okay from Alston. uh yeah i'm gonna read this one out then I have tried numerous times to study the Japanese language on my own. Every time, without fail, I would follow my app or book for about a week or two and then just get distracted by life and put things aside. Thus, I recently decided to enroll in an actual course taught by a native speaker provided by my local community college. Given the state of the world, the course would be entirely virtual, but I'm excited to have something to focus my efforts on and to hold me accountable in studying. I know you've answered many questions about learning the language before, but I was wondering if you had any specific advice for learning for language learning in a virtual setting all the best chris alston
3: Hmm. i mean yeah we touched on that a minute ago i would say i was impressed with italki um which are that the service where you can like just talk to someone on um, Mm. kind of skype i think and um just chat with them and Mm. that, that worked really well i i was sponsored by them like four or five years ago and i used them before that and when i did use them for a time, I found them to be very good. I had a really nice uh, woman. I can't remember what her name was, but she was really lovely and down to earth. So, if you find a good teacher, then it, it does work. Mm. Like
1: don't don't think it's an issue. What do you think? Do you know Jerry Seinfeld? I do. Uh, the comedian. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Jerry Seinfeld had an approach uh, to becoming a comedian, and what he would do is his goal was just make one joke. Every day, just write a new joke every day. It doesn't mm. have to be good; mm. it just has to be every day. And he'd mark it off on the calendar. And the goal was to create a chain and to never break the, oh, chain. the chain. Right? And the I think that's a chain. great method to learning a language as well. You don't have to study for an hour that day. You don't have to study for twenty minutes that day. Five minutes is enough to say you've done it. The hardest part is always starting. Yeah, you can start. You can go for five or ten minutes, but it's been on your mind that day, and just don't break that chain a little bit every single day. That's a really good point. I uh, I remember a few years ago
3: when I was doing this like weight loss challenge um, with mixed results. I did actually did all right. I did lose about five or six kilograms, seven kilograms I lost. But I uh, I told myself I would work out and do exercise for twenty minutes every day, which doesn't sound like a lot, right? But what I found is, for me, 20 minutes felt like an inconsequential amount of time. So Mm. I thought, ah, I can can fit that in. I'd start doing it. I'd go, wow, I'm really enjoying this. And then I wouldn't stop, and I would often work out for an hour. And so I would apply that method to anything, particularly Mm. learning something like Japanese. Um, And I do think, you know, learning Japanese is really fun once you get into it. It is. The hardest thing can be that point in the day when you have to open a textbook and dive into Mm. it. But I love studying it, um, and I hope you have... I hope it goes well, Chris. But Yeah, uh, yeah. Stick with it. Keep us posted. Let us know how you get on. I'm keen to find out. Um, we've got one from Georgie. He says, Hi, Chris P. I used to work for Casio and an HQ designer. Ooh. 30 years old and very shy, was visiting the UK and showing us other products he was currently working on. One of these products was a camera called Jizai. Pronounced Jizai. Uh, <laughs> God. Oh, dear. All the English speakers in the group went quiet and our events manager asked, Really? Uh, and took him aside to explain that uh why the name Jiz might raise <laughs> might raise some eyebrows. God's sake. The designer went cartoonishly red. However, it was too late in the production cycle to change the name. So uh whenever I visit whenever I visit Japan or Asia, I visit a camera store, see the Jiz Eye and smile <laughs> Smile at the memories of that day, uh from Georgie. Oh dear. If it's <laughs> crack out the, the Jiz eye watch with the sappy underwear job well done that's that's awkward i just wow. i'd love to have seen the designer's face he's flown all the way to uk to pitch his brand new amazing casio watch um i looked up the Jiz eye it's like a gigantic crazy sports watch it has like a camera on it or something wow. i don't know who it's for It looks very elaborate what are your thoughts on the jizz eye
1: um, I'm. Gee. I'm still. I, I'm just trying to catch my breath. It was Excellent. so hard not to crack up as you were reading that. I just. Wow, that's. <laughs> I don't. Even, I don't even know where to start on that one. All I know is, I know what I want for Christmas now. <laughs> get me the.
3: Get me a cheese one. So I'm going to get one for Pete. On Elliot, he'll appreciate oh. that. Uh, keep the stories questions and comments coming into Abroad in Japan podcast at gmail.com we'll be back on Sunday to do it all over again with Norm uh, in the meantime go and check out Tokyo Lens on YouTube or Twitter uh, everywhere right pretty much everywhere yeah. type in Tokyo Lens and tap your feet together three times and he will appear <laughs> somewhere um, but check out his fantastic documentaries particularly The Abandoned School and The Scarecrow that's my personal favourite but for now guys we'll be back on Sunday we'll see you then have a good one
2: To Production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.